0: Thank you for listening to the Sunday School Teaching Ministry of Pastor Luke Pollock at the Home Church of Lodi, California. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net. Our prayer is that this message from God's Word will renew your heart and mind today. Yes, I agree. Yeah, we're kicking off the Bible conference here today. So um, after this, there'll be five messages from Evangelist Mark Thrift. And so, man, for those of you that are coming and starting, getting a triple, quadruple, quintuple, however you say it, you're getting a big dose of the Word of God. So good job for being here early this morning. And I'm excited to jump into the book of Romans Romans chapter eight is where we're going to head today. Now, let me start with this: <clears throat> during Super Bowl, one of the Super Bowls recently, they ran a commercial, and it was a FedEx commercial, and it spoofed the movie Castaway, where you know Tom Hanks spends his life or spends several years on that uh, deserted island. And so, the Fed in this commercial, this FedEx employee looking uh, just uh, like he just got drug off the island comes to a door in a suburban home with a package in hand and hands it over to the lady and when the lady comes to the door he explains ma'am I've spent five years on a deserted island but the whole time I've kept this package and I I was determined to deliver it to you and she just says a simple thank you and but you know before he leaves he is curious about what's even in that package and so he's, you know, I've been protecting it for five years. He says, ma'am, if I may ask, what was in that package after all? She opens it up and shows him the contents and says, oh, nothing really. Just a satellite phone, a global positioning device, a compass, <laughs> a water purifier, and some seeds. <laughs> uh, sometimes <laughs> we Christians, I think, are like this FedEx guy. We have everything we need to live the life God wants for us, but we often don't open the package. Now think about this for a minute. We have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the God of the universe, the one who rose Jesus from the dead, and he he lives inside of every believer. That means every Christian has power beyond their own ability, to live the life, the abundant life God wants them to live. Now, let's remember real quick, quick review. Last week, we talked about Romans chapter 7. In chapter 7, Paul described, this is the great apostle. Some say he's the greatest Christian that ever lived. And in Romans chapter 7, he wrote the most relatable passage, maybe in all the entire Bible. The things I want to do, I sometimes don't do. And the things I don't want to do, sometimes I do. What is wrong with me? Why do I do that? I have this part of me that wants to do the right thing, but then there's this other part of me that's pulling me to do the wrong thing. And why do I do this? Why do I go against God and disobey God and go into unrighteousness at times? He just describes the struggle with such perfect language. And then he says after all of that, who will deliver me? Who will deliver me from this body of death? And then he answers his own question, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus will, will deliver me from this. And that is true. One day we are delivered from this body of death. But there's more that Jesus does even now. But how? How will Jesus help us now? And that is what he answers in Romans chapter 8 now. Here's what's interesting about Romans chapter 8, among the many things that's interesting. But what happens is we turn now from the word I... Paul is saying, you know, I am like this, I am dealing with this, the things I want to do, I don't do, all of that, and now in chapter eight, we see the word spirit, or Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is mentioned 20 times in one, this one chapter. He was only, the Holy Spirit is only mentioned twice in all the previous chapters in Romans. This, this chapter is packed full of speaking to us about the power of the holy spirit paul is going to reveal the internal power that we all have that anybody who's in christ anybody who's come to jesus and given him their life the holy spirit comes to live inside of them and he gives them all the power they need to live a life that pleases god now this really is an amazing chapter of scripture romans chapter 8 Many say, and Dad just mentioned a moment ago, this this book of Romans is the Mount Everest, and some people would say that Romans chapter 8 is the peak of Mount Everest, of the Bible. Many say this is the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. Someone wrote this, if the Bible were a ring, then Romans is the diamond, and Romans 8 is the sparkle. You know, this this through amazingly rich doctrine in this one chapter, matter of fact, speaking of castaway if you were deserted on an island and you could only take one chapter of the entire bible with you you might want to grab romans chapter eight it's the thing that speaks of such rich power and everything that we need as a believer is talked about right here in this chapter so this is an amazing blessed help to us as children of god and i i hope it is a blessing to you as we go through it it begins the chapter begins with no condemnation it ends with no separation That's what makes it so amazing. It's very clear that God's, what God wants and what the Apostle Paul is giving to us that is that so every believer would understand that no matter what happens in this life, the believer is safe in Christ. The believer is safe in Christ. And so here's what we're gonna see now. I'm gonna give us four things as we launch in just these few first uh, verses. What the Holy Spirit gives to every believer, all right? We're gonna see a few of them here. First one I see is number one a new power. The Holy Spirit comes and he inside of us and he gives us a new power. Romans chapter eight, verse one, here it is. There is therefore now no condemnation to those to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Now, before anything, God wants, as he's launching into this chapter, God wants the believer to, first of all, be settled on the heaven and hell issue. God wants people, that is you, that is me, believers, to be settled on the heaven and hell issue. Let's start with that. But really, Paul has been making this point in, here in Romans for a while. These verses actually are just sort of clarifying what he's already been talking about, but now he's spelling it out as plainly as he can. In fact, if you look at Romans chapter five verse one, it states positively what Romans eight one states negatively. Look at Romans five one. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's the positive statement. We could say it the same truth, but in a negative way. In Romans eight one, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. You're justified, you have peace with God through Christ, and that means you have no condemnation in Christ. What a blessed thought that is. The heaven and hell issue is settled for the believer. It's it's done. That issue has been taken care of. The condemnation of, of God sending you to hell for your sins, that issue is done with. But just think of it now from the perspective of someone who is not in Christ who is not in Christ. There is therefore condemnation to those who are not in Christ. Judgment is still in front of them. What a scary thought. Their judgment day is coming and, and hell is a real issue. But those that are in Christ, they, they don't have to worry about that. But look what it says here. Look, let's clarify about those that are in Christ. It says the word therefore. Now that word ties this truth to the previous chapter about this battle with sin that Paul was talking about. There is therefore, even though we sin even now, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. We need to have this straight, we need to have our future settled before we fight sin effectively here. We need to have that done. Knowing that we're not going to hell, will help us fight sin here and now. Think about this, people unafraid of death fight better. (laughs) People who are unafraid of death fight better. He says therefore, then he says now, There, there is therefore now no condemnation. You have no condemnation at this moment, meaning it's a done deal, it's already settled, it's now, you have eternal life, the Bible says. It's not you're going to have eternal life, you have eternal life. It's in your possession as a believer now. And then he says no condemnation. Not less condemnation. Not when you get to heaven, I'm going I'm to rip, rip you to shreds, uh, but, uh, but you're going to barely make it. No, you have no con- condemnation. That is, you are not going to hell at all. Now, <clears throat> some people look at this and would say, well, and Paul is not preaching cheap grace at all. Because some people would say, well this leaves a person with no motivation to follow Christ. What motivation would they have then, if they're not scared about going to hell? Well, they, they might say, if you don't fear hell, then how are you gonna be motivated to do righteousness? I, I think it's the exact opposite. See, all other religions of the world are like that. They are fear-based. Uh, with Jesus following Christ, this is victory-based we begin in a place of victory. We fight from victory, not for victory. See, listen, once you get rid of the fear of death, then a genuinely devoted follower of Christ is unstoppable. When a person just says, Lord, you have done that for me, when they see the depth of, the, of your sin and how horrible you are and how wicked you are and how much you deserve hell and that God would snatch you out of there, and save you and then say, I've got so much grace that I will take you to heaven, I'll promise that. And now you just tie yourself to Jesus and say, that's the only person I'm following, that's it. And a person like that is unstoppable. And Case in point, 12 average men, totally committed to Jesus. And as the Bible says, those disciples turned the world upside down. And they're the reason we're sitting here 2,000 years later See, when you're on fire for Jesus and you understand the finish line, you're so much better of a Christian. But we need to keep something in mind here. This is not cheap grace. Paul does not say there is no consequence for sin, but rather he says there's no condemnation in Christ. Consequences for sin, chastening for sin, discipline for our sin here, oh yeah, those are all things still God will do here. Hebrews 12 reminds us of that. I mean, you could look in the Bible and see that very plainly. David, he faced the consequences of his sin. So did Abraham, Jacob, Moses, Samson, and many, many others. They faced many consequences. But they were not sentenced to hell. No, because they were believers. They were eternally secure in Christ. But there is one, con- one condition here, it says for those who are gonna have no condemnation. It says you must be in Christ Jesus. And that phrase, in Christ, is found 85 plus times in the New Testament. And almost every time, it's the Apostle Paul who's using that phrase. If you add this phrase, in him, or in whom, it apparently is over 100 times. Now this seems to be, when you read it, Paul's favorite way of saying that somebody's saved, somebody's born again, he is or she is in Christ, in Christ, in Christ. You are in Christ. He's talking about this inseparable union between two people. You're so close to Christ. He is in you and you are in him. It's like you don't know where the one begins and the other ends. You're just Your life is just so wrapped up in him. One sweet Christian lady described it like this. She said, it feels like, being saved feels like I'm standing in Jesus' shoes and he's standing in mine. And there's just, you can't say it any better than that. All mankind is either in Adam or in Christ. That's what the book of Romans describes to us. Those in Christ have died with Jesus and risen with him. And now they have a new life. They're on their way to heaven. And now the Holy Spirit indwells every one of them. Every single one. One of them, the Holy Spirit, dwells inside. And that's why this tagline here is, I think, on the end of verse 1. Those who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. Now, some translations won't have that in there because they they, they see that the older manuscripts don't have that phrase. But the majority of manuscripts do have that phrase. So I'm glad the King James Version keeps it there. And I think this phrase is actually, in its spot there, a description and not a condition for what God is saying. What God is saying is a person who is in Christ can also be described as a person who walks not after the flesh, but walks after the spirit. So when a person is born again, this is their new way of living. They're they're a person who walks after the spirit who is living inside of them. You know, we sh- everybody in here that knows Jesus Christ, that has given their life to him, should be able to be described in that way. That's a person who walks after the spirit and not after the flesh. That's That's how we should be described and known. And this is how it all happened, verse two. Here's how all this came to be. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. Now again, we need to, clarify and define the word law here. The word law is used several different ways in, uh, in the book of Romans, and in this case, again, it's used as, we could use the word also principle here, or rule, or fact. So, what you have here is this law, this principle, this rule, this fact of life, that the spirit of life, which is in Christ Jesus, makes a person free from the fact or the rule or the principle of sin and death that resides in them. So think about this for a minute. You and I come into this world under an unchangeable law. It's just a fact of life. We are under sin. We are going to die in those sins. We are under sin and death, sin and death. It's just a a fact of the matter. But then this principle, this law of life in Christ Jesus comes inside of us and it sets us free from this law of sin and death that's gonna chain us and and bring us down to an eternal death. So now, once a person believes in Christ, the sin now has no rule over them, death has no rule over them, they don't have to sin, they don't have to die and go to hell, they will still sin at times, and you will still die physically, but the power, the hold of those things over that person's life is broken. Here's a good illustration. <clears throat> All right, let's, if, we, if I throw a ball or I throw a brick, uh, it's gonna just fall to the ground. Well, that's the law of gravity. Can't change that, it's a fact of life. But if I take a bird and I throw a bird, that bird will fly away. That's the law or the fact of life, that's the law of life. The law of life in the bird, because the bird has life, it helps it to overcome the law of gravity. So the law of life in Jesus sets us free from this other law of life that's dragging people down, this law of sin and death. Some people think that obeying God's law, if, I'm, if I do good enough, then that will help me break the law of sin and death. If, then I can go to heaven and I won't sin anymore if I just do enough good things. But that does not work, it won't work. You can't get rid of your sin just by doing good things. It's good to do good things, but it won't won't take care of the bad things that we do. We must have this law of life in us, and it's the spirit of life in Christ Jesus is the only thing that can set us free from the law of sin and death. Verse three, for what the law could not do, now we're talking about the law of Moses, God's law, for what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. So, again, this is the law of Moses now, especially the Ten Commandments, for example. God's law is perfect, it's holy, it's good, but it has limitations. It has a weakness, if you will, and that weakness is that it can't save anyone, it can't take away anyone's sin. And it's only weak because humans are weak, as it says here. Humans are flesh because we cannot keep it perfectly. As Matthew Poole, a great theologian from the 1600s said, he said this, the law is weak to us because we are weak to it. The sun, the sun, S-U-N, cannot give light to the blind eye, not from any impotency in itself, but merely from the incapacity of the subject it shines upon so because our flesh is weak simply doing good things in the law day after day after day can't get rid of sin but that's what all religions will try to tell us to do do this do this do this and God will be okay but that's that's there's only one one way the Bible says that we can get rid of sin and that is through as it says here Jesus's sacrifice he has to condemn sin in the flesh. He has, to, he has to be the one to take care of sin. Instead of works, God had to send his son now to condemn this sin. Now look, notice what the words, and they're very, uh, the choice of words is very important here. Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh because Jesus was sinful, sinless. Here we go, Here's, we can't say, notice that it doesn't say that Jesus came in sinful flesh because Jesus was sinless, he never once sinned. We can't say that Jesus came in the likeness of flesh because he really was flesh. He really was human, not just like a human. But we can say that Jesus came in the likeness of sinful flesh because although he was human, truly human, he was not actually sinful in himself. So this perfect God in the likeness of sinful flesh was murdered in the worst way possible, crucifixion. Why? And in that moment, God was showing how bad sin actually was. See, we like to cover up our sin. Don't make sin seem like it's not that bad. It's no big deal. That wasn't that bad. But when you look at the cross, when you look at Jesus dying on the cross, you you cannot say that sin is not a serious thing to God. Jesus took all the condemnation, and the sufferings of hell that we deserved on that cross. One pastor said that if you're struggling with a sin, here's what, one thing you could do. Just begin to picture the details of the cross. Picture what Jesus went through. Every moment, the way he was whipped, the way he was beaten, the way he was nailed to the cross, the crown of thorns on his head, just picture it in your mind. What happened to Jesus on that moment, in that moment? And if you begin to picture that, that desire for sin will slowly begin to ebb away because you'll realize Jesus was doing that for my sin. Jesus did all of that, verse 4, So that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled now in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the Spirit. See, not only are we declared righteous, that is justification, we're not only declared righteous in heaven, that's our position in Christ, He justified us, But this verse is now telling us, I believe, that we can now fulfill the righteousness of the law here and now. See, and again, it says, for those who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So this is our new power that we have. We can now fulfill the righteousness that God wants us to fulfill here and now. We can obey God's law. We can do what God has called us to do because uh, we are now have the Spirit living inside of us, but here's what we have to do: we have to the walk. We have to walk after the flesh and not after the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is showing us the way to walk, and if we walk in that way, we can fulfill the righteousness in God's moral law. And someone has said that walking in the Spirit is kind of like uh, the storage principle and the contact principle. He said, There's a cars run on either the storage principle or the contact principle. Uh, you, in most cars that we drive, we're, we, um, there's a storage tank of fuel and so once that fuel gets low, we go and refill it, but it's the storage principle. We have this storage of power with us everywhere we go. In San Francisco, there's cable cars and that, they run on a contact principle. They have to contact the wires up ahead to, to keep going. To have power. Christians, you and I, we run on both. We run on the storage of the spirit that dwells inside of us and he keeps giving us all that we need, all that we need, all that we need to live this life. But we also have to keep in contact with the Holy Spirit. Every single day, Jesus said, abide in me, abide in me. We're gonna sing a song this morning about abiding in Christ. We have to abide, we have to stay in contact or we'll never be able to walk in the way God wants us to walk. So we stay filled up. We keep in contact so that we can stay walking in the Spirit. Now let's get a little more practical. The Holy Spirit will also give us now a new mindset. Not only a new power does He give us, but now a new mindset. Look at verses 5 through 8. For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded or fleshly minded is death death but to be spiritually-minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. Listen, fleshly people do what fleshly people do. Flesh stuff, (laughs) that's basically what this is talking about. Sinners gonna do what sinners do, they gonna sin. The unsaved mind, a person who is not in Christ, doesn't know Christ, it says here, will mind the things of the flesh. They all, their, their thoughts are always about what pleases self. That's their mindset. That, that kind of thinking drives their behavior. How will this best help me? I gotta look out for number one. The unsaved mind then is at is enmity or at enemy of, with God. In the deep parts of their mind, they're refusing to follow God's law. Deep, deep down, I'm refusing to just submit and give up and just say, okay, yes, God. They may do some good things, absolutely. But in that state, they never can really please God because they will, there will be corrupt flesh involved. They, they give maybe to be seen of men. They're kind to others in hopes that kindness will return back to them. It's not just doing good to simply please God. It's just a fleshly mind. It's a carnal way of thinking. And we Christians can slip right back into that where it's all about me. It's all about me. It's all about me. And what pleases me? But see, the spiritual mind, the saved mind, is a spiritual mind. As it says here, spiritually minded. They They have a whole new mindset. See, the Holy Spirit comes in and changes the way we think. Changes the way we think. It doesn't just change the way things we do. It changes the way we think. Our mindset now is on things of the Spirit, which give life and peace. See, we go to church. Why are you spending your Sunday? What's the matter with you people? You could sleep in. You could enjoy yourself and casually just enjoy the Sunday. Why would you go to church? Why would you choose to love a person that hates you? Why would you love your enemies? How silly can you be? Why will you put the gospel needs ahead of your own desires? Why will you treat people as Jesus did? Why will you vote for biblical values? Why will you just, why, we have, why do you have all these new things you're, you're thinking? It's because we have new priorities. We're talking to Joel and Laurie and this week about being in Ukraine and you know, they're gonna be going back to Ukraine. And there are some people who would, and, and even have said maybe in some ways, there are some people in their life who would challenge them and, about their decision to be in Ukraine. Why would you go there it, when there's this war and put yourself at risk? Some people might, might even say you're being selfish to put yourself in so much danger when you could be with those you love. When they are trying to look out for you and you're just saying, I don't care what you say, I'm going to go, that's how they would look at it, somebody else. How do you explain to a fleshly mind about spiritual decisions? It's hard to do. Many of you have probably had to do these kind of, had similar conversations with family and friends. Why do you have to go to church when there's this birthday party in our family? Why, why, why do you choose that? Why won't you hang out with us at this bar? Why, don't you, why won't you attend this wedding? It's hard to explain to a fleshly or carnally minded person about spiritual things. But we understand what, peop, what Paul is saying here. To be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And it's an amazing thing when somebody's spiritually minded and they are full of life and full of peace. Full of life and full of peace. That's what the Holy Spirit gives But he also gives, in these next few verses it says, a new security. I wanna point this out, verses nine through 11, look at this. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Now look at this verse, verse 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. So be encouraged, Christian, Paul says, because of the spirit inside of you, the Holy Spirit that dwells inside of you. That is that same spirit that raised up Christ from the dead. That's how much power he has. And this means that one day, your body will be raised too. Yes, you have a body of sin right now that you're dealing with and you're dragging around with you everywhere you go. This flesh is always trying to get you to sin and do the wrong thing. But one day, one day, that same spirit that raised up Jesus' body out of that tomb is gonna take your body and quicken it or make it alive. This is the resurrection. The resurrection of Jesus is a precursor to our resurrection. and What will happen for those who are in Christ? But now I want you to think about the ramifications of what he's saying here. Think about this now. This is not a temporary promise. He doesn't say, you, the, the power that raised up Christ, will give you about 10 years of good life. He'll give you about 20 years of good life, and then that's it. No, he says he, will ra- he shall raise your mortal body one day and that means you're going to live with him forever. It's not a maybe. He might, raise your, he might raise your body if you do such and such and such and such. No, this is he shall. He shall. This is not a temporary promise. This is an eternal for sure promise. It's like God already wrote in the book. Luke gets a new body. <laughs> he... He invited me into his life. He gave his life to me. And so now Luke Paulet gets a new body one day. He shall. He shall. I will quicken his mortal body. Jesus, right By that spirit so dwelleth in him. <laughs> this is not something I can lose. Because it says, I shall. I, I shall. Here's the point. Because every believer has the Holy Spirit. He or she is eternally secure. There should never, ever, ever be any fear of death on the Christian side. I've read about the zombie craze. You know, people love zombie movies, zombie shows, zombie games for some reason. They're so popular. (coughs) And it's interesting to me when you read um, people's thoughts about that, even unbelievers and people who aren't Christians, they say they think it's because of man's fear of death. One cultural critic who writes for Esquire magazine, he writes this. He says, after seeing dozens of zombie movies, I'm convinced that the reason zombies are so powerful is that they capture an atheistic fear of the dead. I don't just mean the fear of dead bodies, though that fear is there too. Materialistic atheism does not provide a very comforting way to deal with the dead. Christians and others have prayer and visions of an afterlife. Atheists, like myself, have rotting corpses and oblivion and zombie movies. (laughs) How sad. How sad. I like much better what the great Christian thinker Malcolm Mugridge wrote. Listen to this. For myself, as I approach my end, I find Jesus' outrageous claim ever more captivating and meaningful. Quite often, waking up in the night as the old do, I feel myself to be half out of my body hovering between life and death, with eternity rising in the distance. I see my ancient carcass prone between the sheets, stained and worn like a scrap of paper, dropped in the gutter and hovering over it myself like a butterfly released from its chrysalis stage and ready to fly away. Are caterpillars told of their impending resurrection? How in dying they will be transformed from poor earth crawlers into creatures of the air with exquisitely painted wings? If told, do they believe it? I imagine the wise old caterpillars shaking their heads, no, it can't be, it's a fantasy. Yet in the limbo between living and dying, as the night clocks tick remorselessly on, I hear those words, I am the resurrection and the life. And I feel myself to be carried along on a great tide of joy and peace. God doesn't want any Christian to fear death. He just doesn't. He is taking care of the final chapter. We just need to live our lives right now for him. The Holy Spirit has given us a new security. We have this settled. And lastly this morning, the Holy Spirit gives us a new obligation. Verses 12 through 14. Because when we understand all of this we just talked about, Here's what we ought to be feeling. We ought to be feeling a drawing to the Lord in our hearts. We ought to be feeling not only a drawing, but a duty deep down to live the rest of our lives for the one who gave us his life. Here's what it says in verse 12. Therefore, brethren, therefore, therefore, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if ye through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. He says, therefore, brethren, we are debtors. This is one debt that we should feel deeply. We are in debt to Jesus for all that he's done. Yes, we love him, and that should be and that ought to be our primary motivation in life. But we should also feel a sense of of debt we should also feel a sense of duty jesus said if you love me keep my commandments But we should feel zero debt to the flesh it says we owe our flesh nothing it has only given us death and it only draws it, it drags us down then paul gives the key to the christian's life practical living here it is mortify the deeds of the body through the spirit we live the spirit life by mortifying the deeds of the body This means that we ask for the Spirit's help in putting to death those deeds in my life that have been dragging me down. What are the deeds in your life that are dragging you down? We mortify, or we put to death, that means, those things. See, we can't get rid of the flesh entirely, but we can kill, we can starve those deeds of the flesh when they try to come in. Mortify the, the deeds of the flesh is similar to Romans thirteen fourteen, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Or Galatians five twenty four, and they that are in Christ have crucified the flesh with its affections and lusts. Do you see how violent we're supposed to get with the flesh? <coughs> we kill the flesh, starve the flesh, crucify the flesh. That's brutal. That is how we are supposed to live with this flesh that we have hanging on us. Those things that are dragging us into sin get violent with them don't let it have what it wants two natures beat within my breast the one is foul the one is blessed the one i love the one i hate the one i feed will dominate mortify the deeds of the flesh it requires practical steps take one deed at a time if you have to one deed at a time this deed has been driving me crazy i'm going to mortify it as it comes up what tempts me the most let's kill that temptation however i can Let's go at the root. Let's think ahead of time and get rid of that. What, when am I most tempted? Well, let's kill that opportunity. Let's put to death. Let's mortify that. Why am I most tempted? Well, let's kill that person who's tempting. me. I'm just kidding. Don't kill the person who's tempted. Let's kill that thing, whatever it is, that why in my life, that, that, that temptation is coming in. We choke the life out of the flesh. We have to choke the life out of those things that are dragging us down through the Spirit. So we also need to get locked into following spiritual things. It says, mortify the deeds of the flesh through the Spirit. What is, you've gotta starve that old dog. Galatians 5 says, this I say, walk in the Spirit and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So we win the war by walking in the Spirit. I'm not trying to make my flesh better, I can't. I'm trying to surrender myself more to the Spirit. I'm trying to walk in the spirit and then the flesh will lose some of its grip on me. It's a daily connection with Jesus and his word that helps me confess when I've sinned and then clear my conscience and refocus on him. That's how I stay walking in the spirit and not in the flesh. That's what Jesus, that's what Jesus has helped us do. And listen, real quick as I end here, if you and Jesus, what Paul's trying to tell us is if you and Jesus aren't good in your spirit, If you don't have a strong spiritual connection with Jesus, then let me tell you something, you're not gonna ever feel like you're getting anywhere when it comes to victory over sin and the flesh. Does this make sense? Paul is trying to help us see that a victorious life comes from a strong spiritual life. Walk in the spirit and you don't fulfill the lust of the flesh. You have to keep investing in that spiritual life. You wanna feel like a victorious Christian? Fall in love with Jesus every day walk in the spirit, go to church like you're doing, stay, come, every time these next few days that preaching's going on, this will just saturate you in the Holy Spirit and in the word of God. Then that good part of you will be so well fed and ready to take on the attacks of the day. You're gonna fail at times, but there's gonna be more victories than defeats as time goes on if we're walking in the spirit. As I end here, on his 90th birthday, his 90th birthday, someone asked George Mueller, the the great pastor and writer and helper of orphans and the man of faith, they said, sir, what is the secret to you being happy and peaceful all the time? And he said this, first, I've tried to keep a clear conscience. Second, I love God's word. And I was thinking about that and I was thinking, what a great and simple description of walking in the spirit. That is a beautiful description. I just c- want to keep a clear conscience with the Lord, and I want to stay close to Him through His Word. And you, I'm going to tell you what, and you, when we do that, we get the fruit that God promises. Lord, we thank we you. We hope you enjoyed listening to the preaching and teaching from God's Word today. You can get more information about our church and about starting a relationship with Jesus Christ at www.thehomechurch.net from all of us here at the home church in Lodi, California. Thank you for joining us.